Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hey folks, Jason Bond in Stoneville, Mississippi in the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio along with Tom Allen. Tom, what's going on? Good afternoon. Great to see you. Nobody else here with us today. It's going to be a whatever. I started to say solo podcast, but that's not exactly true since there's two of us. So it's going to be Tom and I. And so we're gotten down to, I don't know, Tom, we're like in the fourth quarter of this crop year. Is that what, can you call it the fourth quarter? I'd almost say you're like the beginning of the third quarter in a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And you've reached the fourth quarter in some places. Depends on the crop right now. Yeah, it just depends on where you're at. But anyway, we're, we're gotten to the heat time of the summer. Tom's in pretty big demand right now, super busy. So, uh, really appreciate him taking time, especially on an afternoon, to uh, sit down and record a podcast episode. Tom, what was it that you had in mind you wanted to talk about today? I think we're definitely going to talk about root disease issues in soybean. That seems to be the number one call the last few weeks. And, and I get it, not so easy to diagnose in the field. There's some little subtle differences that kind of factor into that. Might actually become a solo podcast because my you're not going to tell me that you don't know enough about this to really facilitate <laughs> the thing, are you? Knowledge of root disease is going to be pretty low, dude. Oh, come on now. You pretty can ask the questions inside of things from the agronomic side. Pretty low. Before we start, Tom, what do you think is the most random fact that you have in that head of yours? I know you got a lot of stuff bounces around in there. Random. What do you think the most random little nugget is? From the standpoint long of long pauses are uncomfortable. Of something that I would know that nobody knows that I know, or I know that I think nobody else knows. Random nugget of information. Well, I do come up with all sorts of random things. Random song, random songs, people that sing songs. I typically blow Tracy's mind when we start talking about that stuff. She'll be sitting there listening to a song and I'll say, Hey, that's so and so. And she'll say, How did you know that? I, I don't know. It just pops out. Be more specific. We already know you know a lot about oh, music, so you got to be more specific. You know, something like, I, I don't know, who was the losing vice presidential candidate in the 1972 election? Something completely random like that. that I don't know any Well, of I'm not asking you to facts. answer the question. I'm just telling you just that's pretty, that you would be an example. Give, you want me to give you an example of a random fact that, that I know? That's knocking around in that head of yours. Well, you're going to have to give me a minute. There will be a random long pause because well, I have to think of something. We already had the random long pause. Well, there may be another random long pause. Can you not deal with another random long pause? Do you want me to fill that time space? Do you want me to hum the Jeopardy theme so that you can get that in there? We could do the random fact as this, that uh, the bulk of the baseball games that I had actually attended as a younger adult and small child were in stadiums that inevitably were torn down. Okay, that qualifies as random, like Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh. Correct. Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh, Lakefront Stadium in Cleveland. Nice. And Maybe. also there was a river, oh, Riverfront in Cincinnati. Okay. I would Lakefront say in Cleveland. That qualifies as random. However, just so our listeners are up to speed on everything. Took him at least three minutes that we had to edit out of this thing before Tom actually. A random question. I couldn't think of one. Came up with a random. I questions. got you a really good random fact though. That was a random fact. 
And evidently it was a good random podcast question too because it stumped you. Sure it was. And actually how many people have attended baseball games at any of those stadiums that now uh, live in this part of the country? The people in this podcast studio that have ever been to any of those cities is one. Is it only me? Yeah, I've never been to Pittsburgh. You haven't been to Pittsburgh? No, why would I go to Pittsburgh? I mean, I just had had the opportunity to go to Pittsburgh. You haven't been to Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, or Cleveland? No. Okay, that's a shame. It's three fine cities. Transitioning from random facts to root diseases. I assume when you're talking about root diseases, you're talking about soybeans? Are we pulling... Or other crops. I'd think about s- cotton in too. Soybeans right now have been the bulk of the questions when it comes to root issues going on pretty much statewide at this point. All right. So what are you hearing or hearing and seeing? Well, lots of lots of questions have shown up mostly associated with pictures that people are sending. And there's certainly some confusion out there about telling the difference between something like southern blight, sudden death syndrome, and taproot decline. All three would produce some form of intervenal chlorosis in the upper plant canopy, which I think tends to lend itself to a little bit of confusion when it comes to field-based diagnosis. When Trey was on with us, Tom, and y'all talked about taproot decline, you mentioned sudden death syndrome and the fact that it was less common in our geography maybe than some people thought it was. So then differentiating taproot decline from southern blight, what would be the keys that you're looking for there. Okay, keys that I definitely look for. And this is to distill it down and make it fairly simplistic from a standpoint of what you're looking at. Most of the symptoms associated with all three of those diseases that I listed will typically be in the uppermost plant canopy about where we are calendar date-wise right now. And then typically when you get beyond the mid R5 growth stages. I think that's a pretty good hard and fast rule for those things. If the environment cooperates and the plants affected with those diseases are actually producing fungal growth, then determining that it's southern blight is typically pretty easy. You look at the base of the plant down at the soil line, there's either a white mass of fungal growth coming out of that plant or around the plant, and then there typically be a little stacks of what look like dipping dots. If y'all have gone to the ice cream place, your kids have gone to the ice cream place, I like those little dipping dots that you put on spoons and they're typically different colors. That's about what you get with Southern Blight. You'll have mild intervenal chlorosis in the upper canopy, white fungal growth at the base of the plant if the environment's cooperating. And then if there are dead plants in the vicinity or that plant's really cooperating with the environment and the fungus is actually growing, you'll have dipping dots around the base of that plant. And that's starting to be evident, certainly in East Mississippi right now. I got one really good picture on Friday of that situation in the Monroe County area. Then describe the symptoms, and I know it's on the earlier episode, but describe the symptoms for taproot decline. If you wanted to compare southern blight and taproot decline, those are typically small clumps of plants, three to five. Taproot decline, really similar, one to three to five plants typically. Mild intervenal chlorosis in the upper plant canopy. The one differentiating difference between southern blight, sudden death syndrome, and taproot decline would be If you grab the plant and roughly jerk it out of the ground, you're going to break the bulk of the root off. 
look on the root. If it's taproot decline. If it's taproot decline. And and the one caveat there is, is you can break those roots off with any of these things, depending upon how you treat that plant. And, and I don't go so far as to tell folks to dig them up. That does help. You do get the whole root system then, and then you're actually looking at everything that's there, and that would tell you what the root really looks like. But one really distinguishing factor for taproot decline is you break the taproot off. And then if you look at the root that you've actually pulled out of the ground, you'll get some India ink looking black type things that are actually on that root. That's fungal growth, which biologically is just too much to even talk about. So again, small clumps of plants. Now, if you want to tell the difference then with something like sudden death syndrome, that right now in the fields that we're running across that in western Mississippi and the Delta that would basically go from somewhere around the Isola area north into DeSoto County and some geographic areas, those fields that are starting to present symptoms of sudden death syndrome are typically larger areas, Wait, pickup truck size Isola areas. to DeSoto County, that's quite a... It is quite a distance. Okay. And that would just be the, the general conversations I've had and the pictures that have showed up have been basically Isola to DeSoto County. But not widespread. I mean, you're not widespread. No, that's that's pretty specific field situations. And then the one key to something like sudden death syndrome is, at least in the Mississippi production area, we tend to see that particular disease on lighter soils. It's not going to be a heavy buckshot. Any of those really heavy gumbo clay containing soils, not typical to run across sudden death syndrome. But you could run across southern blight or tapper decline in a heavier soil class. Are guys scouting for these diseases or are they catching these small areas that you're describing as they're checking for insects or other things? They're catching that on their regular route. And in a lot of cases, they're going on a Thursday, coming back through the next Tuesday or Wednesday because that's just how the route ends up. And they're running across that happening in that rapid a period of time. And certainly when it comes to SDS or sudden death syndrome, you can run across that particular disease in a short period of time. Those plants will basically collapse, present those symptoms rather rapidly, and you're going to see that occur, especially with these high temperatures we had last week. When you're talking about things in the mid to high 90s, plants start to struggle, become overstressed, and you'll start presenting symptoms associated with something like SDS in a really rapid period of time. So that was my next question, similar to what you just described. So today is August the 2nd, and we usually leave the dates out of these, but today is August the 2nd. If you go back two weeks ago, we were very, very wet, multiple inches of rain in a lot of areas, and then got some rain even a week ago, at least here at Stoneville. We got a good rain Monday and Tuesday last week, and then it was hot, like triple-digit hot at times. Excruciatingly you know, for, hot. For high temperatures. Now, this morning, we had another significant rainfall here at the station. Plus, it's supposed to be 10 to 13 degrees cooler for high, forecasted highs at least, for this week. So, to me, that kind of sets up for checking a lot of boxes on a disease, I would say, pyramid. And I would be right by saying disease pyramid, but I wanted to spare you that 
that's the thread you've at least spun through all of these episodes yeah, since we really I, started going through this in February. I missed one. <laughs> that's right, you did. I, I missed saying it on one, but I did not miss saying it on this one. Seriously, what conditions do these disease root diseases favor? That's definitely a good question. Inevitably, infection occurred a lot longer ago. So you didn't just get infection and that disease actually occurred over a very short period of time. Presentation of symptoms occurs over a short period of time. So let's just use something like SDS or taproot decline. That fungus infected that plant and it's required stress mostly for that plant to present those symptoms. Now, if you really want to consider the taproot decline system, and that's a smidge more complex those plants have been presenting symptoms over the bulk of the season. The hard part is, is it gets much more showy as you get into the mid R5 growth stages and closer to R6. Lots of consultants and field representatives start to observe that disease at about those typical growth stages because it stands out in the upper plant canopy and it's easy to spot when you look across the field or when you walk up on those plants. SDS Again, infection occurred pretty early, but it requires that period of stressful conditions that we had last week with the rain and then really, really high temperatures for you to present symptoms. And again, not a real common disease that we run across in Mississippi. And the one specific thing that I think really needs to stand out in that diagnosis is as I said, most of the situations where SDS has been observed this year pick up truck size areas in a field. So you have multiple areas that are pretty sizable. If you run across a situation where the area is larger than that and it's affected by SDS, take a soil sample because soybean cyst nematode can have a cohabitation with the SDS fungus and increase the amount of area, especially if there's a soybean cyst nematode population present in that field. And again, that's not something that's real common in Mississippi. I mean, I can name the fields or count the fields on the top of my head that it's five or six that I've run across in the 14 years I've been here. Not real common, but it's a good situation to make sure you stick a probe in the ground and get a good soil sample to see if that's what the issue is. With SDS, you're talking about infection at some point earlier in the year and then a stressful environment like we had last week with the really high temperatures, I guess, leading to visible symptoms. So could you have a plant infected with SDS, the fungus that causes SDS throughout the year and you never find that spot in the field just because maybe you had generally, just say optimum growing conditions, never got too dry, never got too wet, never got too hot, never got too cool, just is that possible? And it doesn't even really matter. I just, I keyed in on that when you mentioned that infection would have taken place at some point earlier in the life cycle of the plant and then not showed up until it underwent some stress. I'd say that's pretty common. And that fits right back into your plant disease pyramid there, Jason. Yeah. You have a host, you have the fungus, you more than likely have infection. Environment's not correct. You don't have the right amount of time with the right environment, and you don't start to see symptoms associated with that particular situation. Follow up to that, then, is SDS more common than we give it credit for being, and we just don't often, as often, see the symptoms of it? I would say the fungus that causes that particular disease is very common. 
Okay. And we don't typically run across the disease because we don't end up with the right stressful situation and environment that allows the symptoms to present themselves. Fairly common for the two other diseases that I mentioned, although of late, I think taproot decline is becoming the disease that we're really focused on because we see it on a lot of acres. One last question related to scouting. On some of our earlier fields, we're getting to that time of the year that I just call it kind of the ugly stage. You know, we've had these beautiful tabletop level plant canopies. You you drive down the highway and you just got this nice flat field of dark green soybeans. Now we're getting to the growth stages now that some of the fields were getting into some level of maturity and you start, they're starting to get a little ragged. You know, you get some discoloration here and there. If you're just windshield in a field, can you key in on any or all of these diseases based on those, that ragged appearance that I described? Oh, absolutely. I'd suggest get out of the truck, go over there, start pulling plants out, looking at roots, seeing what, see what you see on those roots. That's pretty important. More often than not, and this, I I get that, when you talk about 90% of the plant or 95% of a soybean plant is above the soil surface, what stands out on that part above the soil surface, everybody seems to think is, well, that's my problem area. But in these type of disease situations, when you're talking about something that's a root issue, look at the roots, pull the plant out of the ground and see what you're seeing below the soil surface, even though the bulk of the plant's not down there. Most of us, I think, would argue that that's probably the most important part of the plant when it comes to growing the plant or allowing the plant to grow. It all starts and stops. That's not the part that the farmers the are roots. concerned about from a standpoint of yield. Well, yeah, it's not economic, everything but it drives, starts at the drives roots. Economics. That drives the whole system at this point. So on the taproot decline episode, you, you and Trey talked about management of that disease, and I think your main recommendation there was rotating out of continuous soybeans if you were in a situation with continuous soybeans. Is that an accurate recollection? Yes, absolutely. All right. Comment on the other two, the SDS and Southern Blight. I would say rotation for SDS management because it's not something that we tend to manage or talk about from a management standpoint, and that's where the whole nematode is it, sample would factor into that. Is it even economic? damaging enough to consider management for or is it something that just happens on a small scale in isolated fields i would say it probably happens on a really small scale in some fields there may be some fields that see some potential yield loss but it's probably pretty low okay and that's just based on the general growth stage that occurs and the area that's typically impacted. In the years I've been here, I've probably only seen two fields that would have had a really severe and significant amount of SDS in them, and that was related to soybean cyst nematode. The southern blight situation is definitely becoming more complex. Rotation should benefit us there, uh, but that particular fungus seems to have an extremely broad host range. I ran across it on some corn last week, and corn's not known as a host. Forgive my ignorance, or forgive my memory, maybe. When we talked to Brendan about peanuts, what was the 
Was there a southern blight of peanut? It's southern stem rot slash white mold of peanut. It's the same fungus that causes southern blight in soybean, okay. which is why peanut and soybean are not good rotational strategies. I couldn't remember. It, it seemed like I remembered y'all talking about southern blight, but I didn't remember the specifics of it. We, we had one location years and years and years ago where they had put soybean in following peanut and that was the main disease was southern blight and it was bad enough that just about every plant that was exhibiting symptoms had fungal growth so you had the perfect environment and everything was cooperating the way you'd want it to varietal resistance so we have any options there for these root diseases in soybean for southern blight i would say for southern blight i've spent a good bit of time evaluating the variety trials the last few years for southern blight and i think there are some Pretty significant differences between what I'd consider susceptible and resistant, and that's still something I continue to look at. I'm not necessarily at the point where I want to jump out and say these would be the varieties to plant. Taproot decline is a little bit more difficult to really kind of pinpoint. Big screening program down at LSU in Winsboro this year, whereby scientists from Arkansas and we did at Mississippi State sent varieties to LSU to evaluate in that program. We're hoping to go down there and evaluate that in the next week to 10 days with Trey because as of, as of what he had last year, it looked like conventional varieties seemed to be more resistant to taproot decline than commercially available herbicide trait tolerant varieties, which I think is disconcerting for farmers at this point. Yeah, that's a downer. Yeah, big downer. <laughs> um, and I, but I think you know more years of that type of data will be beneficial. And then SDS, there's some good varieties that come from commercial offerings that have good tolerance to SDS. And that's certainly something that I think a farmer who might have had a history of SDS in their field might consider. But that's not something we really need to focus on on every acre. The one thing I think that I didn't mention is you do get subtle differences in how that intervenal chlorosis appears Taproot decline, I think, is one that a lot of people are really picking up on. It's really mild. The veins stay green on those leaves, and you get a lot more yellowing. SDS, the leaves in the upper plant canopy, you get a tremendous amount of necrotic tissue in between the veins, and the veins don't necessarily stay green. And when that disease basically gets to the point where the whole plant's collapsed and all the leaves are up there, they really look strange. They'll stand up straight and they get all crispy rapidly. Southern blight, the plant will defoliate and you start with something that has really mild intervenal chlorosis to something that has no leaves. And then, like I said, if the plant's cooperating and the environment's right, you'll see that fungal growth down at the base. But basing diagnostics decisions on how those leaves really appear and the intervenal chlorosis that's in there, you can have some subtle differences in something like taproot decline that'll make you think you're looking at sudden death syndrome. And then the one last point that I do want to make, and, and this is pretty important, fungicides can also produce phytotoxicity or fungicide-associated phytotoxicity. And any of the chemistries that are considered triazoles or demethylation inhibitors can produce a phytotoxicity symptom that looks like all three of those root diseases. So if you've recently treated 1,500 acres with fungicide X that contains a triazole, make sure you line that up with what the, what the pilot's done or what your farmer's done so that you're not calling 1,500 acres SDS or taproot decline or southern blight because they it's not going to happen on 1,500 contiguous acres. 
any other thing that I would comment on that I also know next to nothing about would be confusing these symptoms of a plant disease with some of the nutrient deficiencies. I know you get those questions a lot too. And, you know, in the past, looking at nutrient deficiencies at times, it ended up being taproot decline. That's right. Yeah, And I didn't even think about that until you started describing the subtleties in the in the different intervenal chlorosis on among those diseases and that could also be confused with some nutrient deficiencies as well that's right and then it's important to take a tissue sample or a soil test as well all right tom as usual the plant pathology knowledge is uh thick appreciate you taking time i think you said you were going to check spore traps is that where you're headed yeah i'm gonna go get some spore traps out of the field and mail them off at least it's not 97 that's right but i'll be trudging through a little bit of mud to get to a couple of them but that's that is what it is i will not be trudging through mud because it's august the weed science are done (laughs) and the weed control is over for a few more weeks till we start getting a significant amount of stuff out of the field and we start talking about how to kill those pigweeds after we cut corn and we're definitely going to do an episode about that Tom and I already talked about that. We're going to wait till we get a little bit closer to time. So we're going to jump off for now. We appreciate it. If you like what we're doing, uh, let us know. If you don't like what we're doing, let us know that as well. So, and, and of course, as always, if we can help you do anything, uh, we're always uh, willing to do that and just give us a call. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.